as we're preparing to look into God's word, two experiences that many of us have had that will help to set the stage for the message today. First experience, have you ever seen something that was just so breathtakingly beautiful, so amazing that it literally stopped you in your tracks and made you say, I need to enjoy and experience this. Maybe for the first time, maybe all over again, something that happens all the time. For example, just like Trisha Eger mentioned at the beginning of our worship this morning, this weekend was so gorgeous. How can you not stop and say, wow, how blessed are we to live in northern Michigan and be able to experience moments, hours, days like that? I've been privileged to be living in northern Michigan and call this area home for almost two decades now. And I remember still the very first time that I stopped and looked at those stars as a Chicago boy on a clear, endless night and say, wow, look at that glory of all that God put up there. Or the artist's palette of color that we experience every fall in the changing leaves like this weekend. Or the breathtaking beauty of an inland water view. How many of you have stopped to enjoy those moments more than once in your days up here where we live? Or even the quiet hush of a snowy morning in a winter wonderland. These moments happen so frequently that sometimes, maybe you're like me, I, I forget to pause and enjoy them. I, I, I take them for granted. I, I Sometimes I'm so busy with the, hush of li- with the hustle of life that I don't even notice these moments because they're so consistent. But at least once a week, living up here where we do, I'm reminded all over again of God's incredible beauty, his vast power in the way that he provides and blesses me. Today, we're going to be reminded all over again of one of the ways, the most important way that God provides for us. He blesses us. He displays his power and glory, and we get to be the beneficiaries of it. The mighty works that he displays through us. And how he interacts with us as children. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we take it for granted. Today, we're going to be reminded. Another common experience that will help us to prepare for this message is for Jesus followers and atheists alike, sometimes it's fun. It's, it's, It's intriguing to work out the mental puzzles that we've come across in scripture. The what ifs of the Bible. The spiritual equivalence of Einstein's, uh, uh, what he called thought experiments. You know, he said, for, for one thing, if you could ride on a wave of light, what would you see? What would you experience physically going through that? And we can learn some things from these thought experiments, especially when it relates to scripture. Uh, sometimes it's just fun to wrestle with them. I remember in high school uh, trying to figure out how to stump my youth pastor with Bible questions. And once in a while, I'd succeed. I remember in Bible college, preparing to be a youth pastor, where we'd sit around in the lounge at all hours of the night just talking about these puzzles, these mysteries, these these what-ifs that are just fun to sit and discuss. I remember things like thinking and talking, what if Eve ate the fruit in the garden, but Adam didn't? Would we still have a sin nature? Would they have gotten along very well the next day? All kinds of questions come to mind. What if Noah didn't obey God? and build the ark, and collect all those animals. Would that have been the end of mankind? Other interesting questions that come to my mind. Which came first? The chicken 
or the egg? Do you realize that God's word gives us a definitive answer to that question, if you're willing to dig in and wrestle with it a little bit? It's fun to hear other people asking these questions, too. Just a few weeks ago, a young adult right before service in the East Jordan campus came up to me and said, I have a question. What or who were the Nephilim, the giants that were referred to in the book of Genesis? And where'd they come from? Where'd they go? I just heard this in this week's staff meeting that some high school kids in our Walloon campus are asking the question, does God believe in extraterrestrial aliens? It's interesting to ponder these questions, and, and they can be fun to wrestle with and just think about and explore. And I got to tell you, God loves it when we ask questions, when we think and use the minds that God gave us to, to try to understand the truth that he, he gives us. And he loves it even more when we search the scriptures to find those answers. And so today, for Bible trivia buffs and, and thinkers and searchers of scripture, it may be fun to hear that Paul is going to definitively answer one of those mental thought experiments. This one today is from the Old Testament. How did Old Testament people in the Bible get saved? We know from Scripture that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and salvation comes only through faith in him, but these guys lived before Jesus was here. So how were they able to experience salvation? What hope did they have before Jesus Christ? And for some of us, it's going to be fun to wrestle with that a little bit and hear Paul's explanation. For some of us, we're still going to say, who cares? I'm not one of those people. What does that have to do with me? Let's think about something else if we're going to use our brains today. Because I want to know something that matters and makes a difference in my life if I'm going to sit and hear what God has to say. Can I just tell you, the answers that uh, Paul gives to this question are not just the answer to a trivia question. The answers reveal an intensely practical lesson for us today, each and every one of us. It also reminds us of the glory of God, the beauty of his provision for us, and the blessing of his salvation to all who trust in him all over again. And we need to be reminded. So with that in mind, would you stand in honor of God's word? And we're going to read out loud together. Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, if you would proclaim this portion of God's word together with me. Ready? Here we go. In the same way, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, All nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. Let's pause for a moment and invite the Holy Spirit, as always, to be our teacher this morning. And Lord, we need to hear truth that can come only from you, not from a preacher or a collection of Christians or uh, the best uh, thinkers in, that you've placed on this earth could come up with on our own. So Father, we pray that you would prepare our hearts now. Hearing these words from your word, would you now help us not just to answer a trivia question or to know some facts about the Bible and about you? Would you speak to each and every one of us in a personal and meaningful way? 
Would you help us to hear what you want to say to us? And then respond by trusting you enough to do life your way. I pray, Father, that you would accomplish this through the powerful name of Jesus. And all God's people gathered at Walloon said, Amen. As you return into your seats, I just want to just see in these verses, Paul is answering that Bible trivia question. We don't have to wrestle with it too long if we're willing to trust what God's word has to say because the answer is clear. How did people get saved before Jesus? The answer is in the same way that we do today, through faith in Jesus. But there's a reason that he's answering this question. It's not just to satisfy our curiosity or put our minds at rest on trying to figure it out ourselves. It's not just a factoid that he's addressing here. He's answering this question in order to help us, just like the believers throughout Galatia here, to understand the answer to the most important question in life that you and I will ever have to answer. And what he's saying is intensely practical, and it is stunningly beautiful if we're willing to take a moment and reflect on what God has done. And so if you're joining us as a guest today, or perhaps you're here for the first time in a little while, whether you're online or here in the room, I want to say welcome. We're glad that you're here and catch you up just a little bit on where we've been. We're in week six of a series that we're exploring this letter that Paul wrote to the collection of churches throughout an entire region called Galatia. And the troublemakers had shown up in these churches and spread lies. And unfortunately, some of the Christians had believed them. These Judaizers were trying to convince the followers of Jesus in these Galatian churches that in order to become a Christian, you had to act like a Jew. You had to obey all of the Old Testament laws and traditions and customs of Old Testament Israel if you had any hope of being right with God. And that's the exact opposite of the message of the gospel in true, genuine Christianity. And so for three chapters now, Paul has been saying, no, that's not true. All you have to do the only thing you can do to be made right with God is to put your faith in what Jesus has already done on the cross. And just as Pastor Brandt uh, shared with us last week from the beginning of Galatians 3, in verse 3, Paul says, How foolish can you be after starting your Christian lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? He's been arguing throughout this letter so far that you became a Christian, you became right with God, you received forgiveness of your sins, you got saved, and it had eternal life granted to you and the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you because of what Jesus did on the cross, having nothing to do with what you have done. And so why are you now trying to stay in a good relationship with God by doing a bunch of stuff? It just doesn't make sense. It's kind of like a few weeks ago, a friend of mine invited me to go skydiving with him. It only took me a second to immediately agree. And then a couple days later, when it came time to, uh, to do so, we climb in this little plane. And on the way up to 10,000 feet, the instructor literally strapped my body to his, right? And what was fascinating to me, among all the other things and, and excitement and fun and, and beauty that we saw from such uh, elevations, was how little I had to contribute to this event. In order to go skydiving on that day in a tandem jump, the only thing that I had to do was trust that instructor enough to let me not die and to allow, me, allow him to push me out of the plane. 
Literally, I asked him during the very brief uh, training session, I said, so do you want us to like jump out of the plane when it's time or are you just going to push us? He goes, the less you do, the better. And so what Paul is saying here is that that is the only way to be saved. Whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, there's nothing you can do to help this. The fact is, I had to trust that instructor with my life. Why? He had the parachute. He had the ripcord. He had the training. I had none of those things available to me. I could do nothing except splat if I were to not trust that instructor and allow him to be the one to get me through this ordeal. And so Paul is saying, last week, would it make any sense whatsoever for you to say, okay, Jesus, you got me this far. Thank you for keeping me safe halfway down, but now I'm going to try to take it on my own from here. I'm going to go ahead and detach myself from, from the instructor and see how I can do for the rest of the free fall without the one who got me here this far. And as Christians, these folks are being tempted to do the very same thing. Jesus already took care of you this far, and now you're trying to figure it out on your own? How foolish. Use your heads, guys. And now, these false teachers had been saying just that. What you should do is try it on your own. Detach yourself from the one thing that actually has the ability to keep you safe. The Old Testament, they would say, demands that you obey the laws and follow the rules and, and do all the religious things that are going to make you right with God. Jesus is not enough. So go ahead and reach for that ripcord you don't have on your own. Verse 6, Paul takes them back to the very first Jewish person ever, Abraham. He was the guy in the Old Testament that God called supernaturally to become a great nation, that, that he would bless Abraham so much that he would use Abraham to bless other people. And he would do that by allowing a great nation to be built from him. Many, many descendants would come from Abraham in order to bless the world, as we now know, through Jesus, most of all. These became the Israelites, the Jewish people, that now the Judaizers were telling Christians, you have to be Jewish, not just a follower of Jesus, in order to be right with God. So Paul goes back to Abraham and he says, the OG, the Mac Daddy of all Jewish people, the one who the uh, false teachers are now telling you, you have to be more like him in order to be right with God. How did that guy get saved, Paul says? And Paul reveals what we already know to be true if we just think for a moment. It wasn't keeping the law. Because Moses wouldn't even receive the law on those stone tablets for another 430 years. It wasn't from circumcision, the outward symbol that somebody had decided to become a, uh, one of God's chosen people in the nation of Israel. Because Abraham himself wouldn't perform that rite for another 15 years after God called him. It wasn't even by Abraham trying really hard. To obey God really, really well with whatever he did know God wanted him to do. How do we know that? Because Abraham failed miserably a number of times to obey God. Sometimes he didn't even try very hard to do so. And yet, this was the guy that was being pointed to as the poster child. In order to be right with God, you have to follow all the laws that he and his people did. And so, how did Abe, who sinned, and fell short of God's expectations on his life, just like you and me and everyone else who's ever lived. How did this guy 
become forgiven of his sins and have a right relationship with God, even though he couldn't possibly deserve it or earn it for himself. Paul quotes the Old Testament six times in this brief passage, trying to reveal the answer. Why does he quote scripture so much? Because what the Bible says is what matters. Not what people say or think or try to figure out. It doesn't matter what these false teachers are thinking or teaching. It doesn't matter what the believers in the churches in Galatia think or believe or do. It doesn't even matter what Paul says or what a preacher like me today has to say. Unless it's coming from God's word. So Paul goes back to the source, the only infallible way that we can know what God has to say. And we're going to do the same. Let's go back to Genesis 15, where Paul is quoting from in this passage. Verse 5 says, Then the Lord took Abraham, Abram, before he was named Abraham, outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. Abraham was having trouble believing the promises of God to him, and that God really was going to take care of him the way he said only he could. So what does God do? He says, let's take a little field trip. Just go right outside on this clear night and look up. And witness for yourself the amazing handiwork of my creation. God says, I did that. Abraham says, wow. And God says, that is my work. I can do all things. If I can do that, I can do what I'm telling you that only I can do now. I will keep my promises, Abraham. So trust me. I'll do all the work. All you have to do is trust me enough to let me do it. So just like I had to do with that skydiving instructor, verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord. He believed he didn't do. He didn't try really hard. He didn't look up the rules and try, uh, obey all the commands. He didn't join a religious church or a denomination and do what they said should be done. No, he believed and let God do the work. And look at what it says. And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. He wasn't righteous. Abraham wasn't perfect. He wasn't nearly good enough to stand before a holy God and expect that he would be accepted by God himself. And yet, his faith was why God looked at him and said, you're not righteous, but I am. And so I'm going to count your faith for my righteousness, forgive you of your wrongs, and make you right with me. He's not trying. He's not obeying. He's not following all the religious rules. He's just believing. So now back to Galatians 6. Or Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. To us, to the Galatian believers. He says, in the same way. Paul says, in the same way that I've been trying to convince you that it's nothing about what you can do. It's all about what Jesus has already done. That we must trust in God to do all the work of forgiveness. Being made right with him. Even though we don't deserve it and can't earn it that Abe did that too. It's only by faith, by total trust in him, not by doing anything. Turns out it's always been by faith that we are saved and made right before a holy God. It's always been about totally trusting in him, not trying to figure out or do anything for ourselves. 
And so in verse 7, Paul explains the real children of Abraham are not the ones who are descendants of his genealogically. It's not even the ones who act like him culturally or religiously. No, those who become God's chosen people, the children of God that we sang about today, those who are made right with God like Abraham was, are those who put their faith in God. And of course, today we know clearly from the Bible that the only way to faith in God is by trusting in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. In fact, Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so the folks in the Old Testament like Abraham, they didn't have as much of the detail as we do but in verse 8 we see those old testament believers abraham included without all the details even then scripture was pointing them faithfully from beginning to end in the old testament forward to jesus christ to the work that jesus would do on our behalf it's always been faith in jesus christ which is the only way to our salvation whether you're abraham whether you're one of those Galatian believers, whether you're Paul, or whether you're you or me. The only way to be made right with God, to be forgiven of our sins, to be saved, to have eternal life waiting for us in heaven, is by trusting completely in what Jesus has already did on the cross, not through anything that we can do on our own. If you continue to read on, verses 10 and 11 make it clear that not only is salvation and a right relationship with God, righteousness that we don't deserve being applied to our account because of Jesus, only through Jesus, it's clear that he's the only way, even though liars come to us, just like they did to the folks in these churches in Galatia, trying to convince us otherwise. No, 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 you have to follow the religious rules. You have to try really hard. You have to do more good than bad. The devil himself tries to put his spell on us and get us to believe a lie rather than what God's word has already declared to be true for our own spiritual lives. We even, like those Galatians, sometimes deceive ourselves in our thinking, oftentimes by not really thinking, that somehow or another we can save ourselves if we just follow the rules. God will be more pleased with us if we do more of what we think he wants us to do. If we can decode the religious uh, responsibilities and and the the right path among all these uh, different ideas and, and answers, then maybe we can stumble our way into a better relationship with God. Verse 12, Paul makes clear, there are two very different paths that we can take spiritually. And only two. All the different religions, all the different ideas that humans have come up with, or people have said in churches like this one, trying to claim to know what the truth is, whether it's through Buddhism or Islam or a version of Christianity that's different than God's word or any other religion or atheism itself, all is on one path. It's all one road leading to the same place, even though some people still suggest to us there are many roads up the mountain to God. God's word says just the opposite. Every one of those directions we might choose to go, 
every one of those religious systems we might choose to embrace, every, every one of those sets of rules we're going to follow in order to hope that somehow the good we do outweighs the bad in some cosmic scale that God will let us be considered good enough. All of those things, every single one of them, is a road leading to death and hell. Because every one of them is dependent on what we do, and we already know we can do nothing apart from Jesus Christ that's worth doing, let alone able to save us. We're jumping out the plane without a parachute, thinking if we pull hard enough on the ripcord, we're going to be okay. And so Paul then explains, Every road you're going to come up with to give a religious idea on how to live in hopes of getting to God will fail and lead you to spiritual death. There's one other choice. The only other road that's available, not because I say it or our church says it or Christianity happens to be the best religion. No, it's because God's word declares from beginning to end, everything points to the cross of Jesus Christ as the only way the only way to get to God is by letting him come to you. You can't get to him, so Jesus came to us and gave his life in payment for our sins. If you look at the text and continue to read, we find that we can't earn our way to heaven any more than I could have saved myself from plummeting to the ground and splatting without that instructor helping me out. The roads that we try and find on our own in order to get to God all fall short. Why? Because we are incapable of righteousness without God. The clear, consistent message from God's word, from beginning to end, whether pointing forward or backwards to Jesus, is Jesus is enough if Jesus is your everything. If you're trusting in him, he will keep his promises. You see in verse 13, the beauty of the gospel from the Old Testament pointing forward to Jesus, the entire New Testament pointing backward to Jesus. The beauty of gospel is he took our shame when he sacrificed himself on the cross. He was righteousness. He was perfection. And he sacrificed himself to pay the penalty for our sins. He gave us his righteousness because we didn't have any. And the only contribution that we can make to that road of Jesus coming to do what we couldn't do on our own is to trust him enough to let him push us out of the plane of ourselves. To finally rescue us from you thinking you can do it on your own. And that's the secret not only to salvation, whether you're an Old Testament person before Jesus a Galatian person being lied to from these false teachers, or you and I sitting in this room 2,000 years after Jesus came and died and rose and returned to heaven, the only thing we can contribute to it is being willing to let him strap himself to us, totally trusting in him and say, okay, Jesus, I let go. I trust in you to have done all the work already. You see, his Verse 14, the end of this particular section of Paul's letter, he's not just answering a trivia question. He's answering the most important question in life. How can we be saved? How can we be made right before a God who created us, 
and loves us so much that even though we violate his clear commands over and over, even though we are incapable of living up to his righteousness and holiness, he gave everything to be with us. And he says the only thing you contribute to the equation is trusting everything to me. And Jesus is enough. How can we be saved? The only way anyone can faith in Jesus Christ alone. Nothing else we can do. So I wonder, given that it took Abraham a reminder, a prompt from God, God had to walk him outside and say, take a look at what I've already displayed up there in those stars. Take a look at my glory and my majesty and my power unleashed in creation as evidence that when I tell you I can take care of you, I will keep my promises. Is it possible that you and I need a reminder of just how good God is? Of how much he's done on our behalf? Of what he's given? Of, of the beauty of the cross? And of the glory? The majesty? The splendor? Of the king of the universe leaving heaven? Coming to earth? giving himself for us so that he could take on our shame and we could receive his righteousness that he gives to us only through our faith in him. Do we need a reminder today of the awesome power of God that's all around us? That the busyness of life or the frequency of his blessings has just numbed you to the reality? Maybe just stop and take a minute. Look at the stars. Look at the leaves. Look at the lakes. Look at the cross and say, wow, God is so good to me. Is it possible that lately you've forgotten the beauty of the cross and the power of the one true gospel that he reveals through Jesus Christ? Do you need to take a minute right now to stop and look and notice all over again? Wow. He did that for me. He's offering his righteousness to me. And I think I got to figure out what I'm supposed to do tomorrow. I think I got to work really hard in order to keep up with all my responsibilities. Maybe instead of that, we need to be filled with wonder all over again. Maybe overcome with thanksgiving all over again. Maybe we need a reminder to trust in Jesus as our everything because he's enough to save us and to help us live in freedom as we've been singing about today and hearing preached for six weeks now. To trust him enough to place all our faith in him for salvation but then continue to trust him all over again every step of the way down or up to glory, that he's got us under control. Let the same God who strapped himself to us and pushed us out of that plane, and we trusted him to do that, to trust him enough to continue to take care of our daily needs as well. Rather than trying to fix your life, your job situation, your marriage, your kids, 
trying to fix your finances, trying to, trying to restore your spiritual journey because you feel like you've lost your way and you're somehow distanced from God and want to get back to that place you were at one time? The answer is not to try harder, to follow the rules more, to obey more consistently, to, to discover a new religious rule or system or secret. The answer is to trust in Jesus for everything all over again because he is enough. Is it possible you're here in the room or watching us online this morning and God has taken you outside in your heart spiritually? He's reminding you today. He's speaking to you like he did to Abraham saying, let me remind you of who I am, of all the amazing things that I've done. Maybe that was a part of his purpose for blessing us with gorgeous weather this weekend was so that you could be reminded of just how good God is. The power and beauty that he displays every time we're willing to notice it. And maybe today, for the first time, you're noticing, realizing, understanding, perhaps even accepting the beauty of the cross. The ability of an all-powerful God to sacrifice himself to give you righteousness that you're never going to have on your own. If only... You'll trust in him enough to let him strap himself to you and do all the work. Is this the first time that you're noticing the beauty of the cross? Or the first time you're willing to acknowledge it? Is today the day that you are going to choose to contribute the one thing you can? The one thing that's required to being saved being made right with God, to being forgiven of your sins, and that is to say, okay, Jesus, I'm trusting in you for everything because I trust that you're enough. You've already done all the work on the cross. The only thing I can do is to take this step of faith, to place all your faith in him and make you right with God the very first time, so that you can live in freedom now and throughout eternal life. Is it possible that God is speaking to you today because he wants to save you? Can I pray for you? You know, there's others in the prayer chapel who would also like to pray with you. Uh, sometimes it's helpful to even Come forward in the service like this and kneel at the altar and say, I don't understand every detail, Jesus, any more than Abraham did, but I'm trusting in you. If that's you, I invite you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for displaying your power and your majesty and your glory and your love and your beauty all over again to us today. Thank you for the way that you've demonstrated your power and creation all around us. Lord, thank you for allowing us to discover that we don't have the power to live up to your standards. We cannot embrace righteousness or create it or adhere to it on our own. In these moments, Father, would you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, 
Prompt each and every one of us who hasn't yet trusted in your for everything, for salvation, to call out to you, to trust you to be the only way, the only truth, the only life, and our only hope for ever being able to be made right with God. speak to us right now? Would you bring us to a point of choosing to trust in you for salvation? Speak to our hearts. Call us to respond to you, whether in our seats or coming to the front of the room or making our way to the prayer chapel and allowing somebody to pray with us share briefly but clearly from God's word how we can know that we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. So Father, I pray for each of us who have made that decision, whether now or long ago perhaps, to remind us of your beauty, of the power of the gospel, and the glory of the you wow us all over again. Would you let us keep trusting in you with everything? The way that we live our lives. Rather than struggling to do better ourselves or figure it out on our own. Help us to use our minds and our hearts and the faith that you gave us trust you for everything and let you do the work. Oh God, would you continue to replace our efforts, our sinfulness, ourselves with you and your righteousness? Because when we trust you for everything, 